know, we, uh, we wonder about things in life, don't we? We don't understand why things happen the way they do. We, we are puzzled by events that take place in our life. And we do wonder, don't we? We wonder about things. We wonder. Well, guess what? Someday, farther along down that road of life, we're going to figure it all out. God's going to reveal everything to us. But it's not until we get to be in his presence. We're not really going to understand all of it until then. And by then, it won't matter, really, because we'll be with God. And, and all this life will be kind of a, just a memory of all the things he did for us. And we'll just spend eternity living with him. You have your Bibles. Let's turn to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And I want to talk today about living your faith in a difficult time in a difficult place. Daniel chapter 1. And by the way, if you have your outlines out on the back, you're going to find out real quickly that I gave you the answers already. Okay? I took a break on you all this week. All right? Gave you a break. Actually, I... Didn't quite get it all done, did I? <laughs> so, all right, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord, did you catch this? And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put, the treasure, put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved, catch that, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? And the king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier, better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the king, so I'm sorry, so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And to, the, to, these young, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of time, set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of his whole kingdom. 
And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we read this scripture, as we look at the life of Daniel and his friends, Father, I'm encouraged by what you did in their lives. They were in a difficult place, in a difficult time, and they leaned on you and trusted in you, God, and you rescued them. You you carried them through that time, and you blessed them. I know you can do that for us as well. I know you can bless this church as much or more than you did Daniel and Michelle and the others and Abednego and all of them, Lord. I just would pray, Father, that you would instill in us a, a desire to follow you, a desire, God, to lean on you in difficult times and difficult places. And I just pray, Father, today you'd speak to us. Would you fill us for your spirit, your truth, your wisdom, your guidance, your direction? Would you just come and minister to every one of us, I pray. Father, that we might live tomorrow and the next day and every day for you, that you would be honored and glorified in our daily lives. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. You might not realize this, but we are living in a new era. America has entered a new era, and most people don't understand this, don't realize this, don't understand how different things are. Our culture is much different today, right now, than it was 20 years ago, than what we're used to, than what we have been accustomed to. It's why we ask questions like, what were they thinking? You know, people do things and we wonder, I mean, it's not necessarily terrible things. They just do things. and We wonder, what were they thinking that led them to do that? What's wrong with people today? Do you ever ask yourself that? What's wrong with people today? Why do people live and act the way they live today? Why did they do that? Why did that person do that? That's a big question, I think, today. A lot of people in the church, outside the church, are asking themselves, when things happen in our culture, in a massive way, people ask, why did they do that? You're seeing that, and you're seeing that even in the church, we're not really grasping all the things that's going on. We don't understand what is the leading factors in leading people to do these things that we question. This is my belief, and it's from my belief from studying some philosophy and just looking at our culture. I believe the Christian worldview today in America has been replaced by nihilism. I believe that our culture today is guided by nihilism, not the Christian worldview. Nihilism is the nihilism is the belief that there is no inherent meaning or purpose to life. That there's no real reason why we're here. Nihilism, I believe, is the prevailing worldview today in America, across the Western world, and is even creeping in to other parts of the world as well. This is, I believe, this is why there's so many mass shootings today. Really, I mean, I, I, I've been, I, I was born in 1962. I grew up in the 70s and became a a young man in the 80s, and I haven't seen this many mass shootings where people are being killed so much so so quickly. Um, But I think this is why mass shootings are going on today, because of nihilism. And most of these mass shootings are taking place in places like Chicago, where there's incredibly strict gun laws and a law enforcement system that is very well trained, very well armed, but still unable to stop all of this from going on, all this violence from happening. The violence that we're seeing take place today almost every day is not the fault of our police. They are well-trained. They are well-equipped. They are ready, but there's not enough to be everywhere. 
I believe the violence that we're seeing today is because of the culture we're in. Our culture has become morally ruthless and morally ruthless as well. You hear what I'm saying? We're morally ruthless, meaning we have nothing that holds us and grounds us. And we're morally ruthless in the sense that we look at others. We don't care about other people as a culture. And we haven't for quite a long time. So a question people are beginning to ask is, how can I as a Christian, and you might wonder, how can I as a Christian live out my faith in Christ today? How can I be a believer today? And I believe the book of Daniel can help us do that. We just read the first chapter, and we just saw how God took care of Daniel and his friends in a very difficult time in a very difficult place. The book of Daniel was written from the perspective of a man who was forced to live in that difficult time. And in that difficult place. Look again in verse 1 and 2 with me. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon. Who's at fault here? You might say, well, the Lord is because he, he what? He delivered the king. But it's not true. It's not it's not the Lord. The Lord did it. The Lord allowed it. The Lord manufactured and brought it about. But the people were at fault. The people were at fault. But God allowed this to happen. Matter of fact, he managed how it took place. Because the people of Israel had rejected God himself, they had abandoned the moral principles their nation was founded on. Daniel and his friends were forced by God to live during a difficult time and in a difficult place. But they learned how to survive. And because they leaned on God, they learned how they could thrive and do well in that time and place. The truth is, and I think this is, this is where we are today, is when a culture abandons biblical principles, point number one, even believers can find themselves in a difficult place. Even believers can find themselves in a very difficult place when a culture abandons biblical principles. Let's look again at verse 3. <clears throat> then the king... Order Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine to the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And among these were... Some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. This is what God did because as a people, his people, the people that he loved, people he called the apple of his eye, the people that he rescued from Exodus, during Exodus, from Egypt, from slavery who were being forced to kill their children, he rescued them. They go into the promised land and they abandon God. And so he allows this to happen. He manages this. King Nebuchadnezzar would seek out the very best and the very brightest people from all the nations that he would conquer. He'd, he'd come in, he'd take over that nation, and then he'd take a bunch of the people back. Not all of them, but most of them. And out of that group that he took back to Babylon, he would pick out the best and the brightest, the people with no defects that were handsome, that were intelligent, that could be taught. And basically he drafted them into his service. And he would have them turned into Babylonians. 
Daniel says they trained for three years for this task. To think, to act, and to be Babylonian. To leave behind the Israelite culture they grew up, they were born and grown up into, including their religion, in order to put their king, their new king first, even in the place of God. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change everything in their life, including their religious worldview. This would have been very difficult for them. Can you imagine how difficult that must have been? What if the, let's just say, what if a country came into America and, and took all of you away? as slaves into a whole other culture, and force you to give up your Christian faith or die. Think how hard that would be for people. This had to have been very difficult. They were in a difficult place. They were in a difficult time. Even as believers, here they were, believers in the one true living God. What is a believer, by the way? What is a believer? Fred, what... Someone who, someone who believes in God and Jesus, you know, you just nailed it. You just nailed it. Perfect answer for us as Christians. When we use the word believer as Christians, we're usually talking about a person who believes in God and Jesus Christ. Who, who put their life in their hands, in God's hands. Trusts in Jesus and strives to live the way God wants his people to live. Did you know that we are supposed to be a peculiar people? They were supposed to be different than the world around us. They were not supposed to be like our culture. That's why I drive 10 miles over the speed limit. That's my excuse. Because I'm a peculiar person. And we will see that Daniel, we've already seen really, that Daniel was a strong believer in God. That he didn't live exactly the way the Babylonian culture wanted him to live. Instead, Daniel strived to live the way God wanted him to. That's why he found himself in a difficult place at a difficult time. This is the way it will always be for God's people. The culture and our belief, our worldview, is always going to rub up against each other. We're always going to clash. Many of the first followers of Jesus experienced this very thing too. They experienced their culture this way as well. In Acts chapter 16, verse 22 the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. They got everybody against them. These two guys got a mob and the law against them. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Paul and Silas were just being Christians, telling people about Jesus, and they got attacked. By everybody, beaten, thrown into jail. Today, if you don't insulate yourself from the culture around you, if you just don't shut your door and go inside your house, if you get engaged in the culture around you, you're going to see that the culture in America is turning against Christians. It's turning against Christians who have done some very good things in our culture. Did you know that many hospitals were were first initially built by Christians? Did you know that, that even in this church we gave food away free? Never required anybody to do anything other than maybe they pray if they wanted to. But fill out a form. You got a bag of food. All kinds of things. It was Christians, by the way, who drove the fight to free, free slaves back in the 1800s. And Christians stood up and made sure they got equal rights. Christians did these things and so much more. Christians went off and fought for other countries so they could be free and died. 
And yet our culture turns against us because of our worldview. Because we choose someone else other than what the culture says to do. And unless we become as tolerant as the culture around us that we're living in, it's just going to get worse. You see, what the culture often wants almost always conflicts with what God wants. Almost always. So we have to decide. You and I, we have to make a firm decision. We've got to draw a line in the sand and decide, I'm not stepping over this line. We have to decide, who are we going to follow? Who is going to guide and direct our lives? Second number two on your outline this morning, believers have to choose to obey God in difficult places. It's easy to follow God in easy places, right? When the choice isn't so hard or black and white. But when you go into a, a place that's against your worldview and opposed to what you believe as a Christian, that becomes a hard place. And then you have to choose. Am I going to really do this? Am I going to really be this person I think I am? Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved. You know what resolve means? It means to really decide. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it this with their way. I'm doing it the way that pleases God. So Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? And the king would then have my head because of you. Now, most people would say eating what the king ate and drinking what the king drank, that has to have been a good thing. That must have been good. He probably ate the best food and drank the best wine or whatever, but not for Daniel. Daniel and his friends were raised to obey the law of Moses, which said that there were certain foods they could not drink, like pork. No bacon for Daniel. Anybody like bacon? Yeah, man. I love bacon, don't you? Yeah. No fish without scales. No fried catfish for Daniel either. Anybody like fried catfish? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love catfish. That's the stuff. That's right. That is the stuff. And in the Babylonian culture, portions of food and wine or whatever they drank at every meal, they would pour out and give to their gods. So Daniel and his friends were being forced to do two things, violate the law that they were commanded to obey and also to violate their loyalty to God. And God demanded absolute loyalty. He demands absolute loyalty from his believers. And Daniel understood that. So he had to choose who's he going to follow, the king, the culture, or is he going to follow God? That's our choice as well. Ever since Jesus called the first disciples, this has been true for Christians. It's still true 2,000 years later. In Acts 5, verse 27, the Bible says, Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priests. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood, Jesus' blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. Peter and the others said, You know, we're going to make a choice. We have to choose to obey God or men, and we choose God. Don't matter the cost. I don't care what they do. I've got to follow God. I've got to obey God. And I've got to do that every day. And I've got to do that right now. I'm in a difficult time, in a difficult place, and I've got to do it. And Peter did it. So did the others. And we reap the benefit 
of their sacrifice. We've benefited from being Christians because of what the early church did. They never forgot what Jesus taught them in Luke 23, verse 9, verse, 9, verse 23, when he said to all of them, he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, look, you're either with me or you're not. You're either going to hang with me in the tough times, hang with me and lean on me in the difficult places, or you're not. And that's the challenge for you and I today. We've got to decide. The people of God today have got to decide, are we going to follow God? Are we going to go with a culture that promotes and encourages sin, that says life has no meaning, no purpose, other than to live for today? That's our choice. I think the choice is easy myself. I want to go with God. Because going with God is always going to be better. Believe it or not, it will always be better than going with the culture. You know why? Because God's way will always work out. The culture's way doesn't always work out. Our culture said we have to have a police force, well, we, and we do. And I'm glad that we do, but it can't protect everybody all the time, can it? But yet God can be with us wherever we go. Yeah. It takes faith to reject the culture that we live in. But the Bible tells us, point number three on your outline, faith is always proven true, especially in the difficult places. The first example of Daniel's faith in God being proven true is with the guard that he dealt with, who was put in charge of Daniel and his friends. Look at verse 11 with me. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this test and tested them for 10 days. Daniel asked him to try something for 10 days. He said, give me 10 days. Let's do this. Give me 10 days. Give me and my friends just vegetables and water, and that's it. And then compare how we look to the others in this program that you got who are going to eat from the king's table and see who's doing better. Now, Daniel had no authority to ask for that. He had no authority to make that request. The guard could have said, hey, do what your mother said. Do you remember what your mother said when you sat down at dinner and you didn't like uh, fried liver and onions? What would she say? Eat what I give you. I hated, grew up, I hated fried liver and onions. Despised it. I wouldn't eat it. So I didn't eat anything that night. I drank a lot of water or whatever, but I didn't eat that. Well, the guard could have told him that. But he agreed to what Daniel asked. This had to have been God influencing the guard. It had to have been God working in that, in that guard, his mind and, and heart, to work with Daniel. And the results are obvious. Daniel was proven true. His faith was proven true. Verse 15. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Faith always requires us to step into the unknown. doesn't matter what, it, what, what, what we're being asked to do or what we're thinking about doing. Faith requires us to step into the unknown. Whether it's a new job or whether it's a total different career change or whether it's how to deal with what's going on around us, the challenges that we face that are so new for all of us. How do we deal with this? How do we, how do we answer 
the challenge to our faith by the culture, if we've never had to deal with that. Well, that's an unknown. So you have to have faith in God. Daniel had to trust God. He had to prove his faith would be true. And that God's instructions would work wherever Daniel lived and wherever we live, especially in difficult times and difficult places. Faith must be tested, and it will always be proven true when it's faith in God. The New Testament says it this way in 1 Timothy 6.12. We're told this, fight the good fight of the faith. What does that mean to fight the good fight of the faith? It means to wrestle. It means to struggle. It means to hang in there. It means don't quit. Don't, don't wimp out. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Why do we baptize people in a public service? Why? Because we want there to be lots of witnesses of the statement that you're making. That's why. That's why we don't baptize quietly all, all just the person. That's just that person because it's a public profession of faith. And I, for you, want to see more, don't you? I want to see lots more baptisms. And I'm praying and asking God to give us baptisms. So I believe this is what we got to do today. we got to fight the good fight. Our culture has changed dramatically. But guess what? God hasn't changed, not one bit. And our faith is still true no matter what the culture says or does. You see, number four, God rewards his people for having faith in difficult places. God will reward you if you hang in there with him. Who likes that word reward? Amen? Yeah, we all like a reward, right? I remember growing up, they used to get toys in a cereal box. Remember that? That was pretty cool. That was a reward for getting your folks to buy that cereal. You know? And if you just talk them into buying that cereal, you got that great little toy. Now they do it. McDonald's does it, right? And we do it because we want the kid to be quiet and play with their toy. They're going to get in their meal so we can enjoy our lunch. God loves to reward his people. And I like that about God. Look at how God rewarded Daniel for being faithful. To verse 17, look at it. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. God made it possible for Daniel and his friends to be accepted into the Babylonian culture and still maintain their faith in God. He made it possible for them to be believers and also to be accepted into the Babylonian culture. God gave them knowledge, that ability to reason. Knowledge doesn't mean just something you cram into your head. Knowledge is the ability to reason, to analyze complex issues and resolve them. He gave them understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. God made sure they could learn the Babylonian culture while remaining faithful to God. How many of you here, how many of you do not have a computer? Anybody? How many do not have a computer? In your home. Several of you don't. Isn't that something? You're getting left behind. How many of you have a smartphone? How many of you have a smartphone? How many do not? How many of you have the old flip phone? <laughs> they still make them for a reason. You're getting left behind. Believe it or not, you are. Because you're not keeping up with what the culture says you got to do. Because the culture says, hey, we got a new iPhone 5 or whatever, 6 or 10 or whatever the thing is coming out, and we want you to buy that. 
Don't get left behind. I don't. I have an Android. That's not even in the ball game. It's it's better than the flip phone. I'll tell you that. But it's not in the ball game. I'm getting left behind. But I like my Android. And there's a whole reason why I like my Android. But anyway, technology can leave us behind. We can be left out of our culture. Simple things, easy things. God gave them the ability to reason, to analyze, and to resolve problems. He gave them the ability to understand literature and help them to be accepted into the culture while remaining faithful to him. And that's our challenge today, to be able to walk in our culture, be liked and respected, and yet still be faithful to God. And Daniel, God gave Daniel an extra ability to understand and interpret visions and dreams. This is important. And if you know anything about the book of Daniel, you understand why already. But if you don't, you're going to learn. This is the ability to understand dreams and visions. The Babylonian people believed that their God spoke to them in dreams and visions, that they would see a vision, and that was their, one of their gods talking to them. And they would try to figure out, what did he mean? What did this God, God or goddess mean? And that's why they had magicians and enchanters. You'll see later on why this was important for Daniel. Because he was given knowledge from God. And through these unique abilities, Daniel and his friends were able to survive a very difficult time in a very difficult place. They didn't only survive, but they thrived and did well. Not because they fit in, but because they stayed faithful to God. That's the key. And God rewarded them for their faith in him. Psalm 62, 11. One thing God has spoken. Two things I have I heard you. I have I heard that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Don't you like that? That God is strong and that God is loving. Amen. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. So if you want to get a reward from God, be faithful. You want a reward from God, choose to follow God instead of following the culture. Don't give in to the culture. Give in to God. Amen. And here's something we need to think about when confronted with living in a difficult time in a difficult place. It's number five. Difficult places often prepare believers for great things. When we go through difficult times, often just over the horizon, on the other side of that hill, there's something great that God has waiting for us. But we're not going to get to that unless we stay faithful. Amen? Amen. How long, does anybody know how long we've been trying to pay off the loan on O'Connell Road? Do you know? I think this is the ninth year. I think this is the ninth year. That means we have one more year as far as uh, the tax thing. But we still owe money on our loan. But yet we can still dream about getting over that hump. We can still think about and dream and ask God to bless us, to carry us through, so that when we get there, we'll be able to build that building on that new land. We'll get to minister to people who don't have a church in their neighborhood at all, in that part of town on the East Edge. Then we get to, to see people's lives change through God and His power of the Spirit. We get to, we'll get to see that. But we've got to hang in there. We got to be faithful. We got to follow God, not the culture. Amen. Difficult places often prepare believers for great things. That's what it's all about. That's what faith is all about. Look at verse 18. At the end of the time set by the king, 
to bring them in. The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Meshach, Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. He prepared them for something, something great. The, what, the difficult things they were going through, the hard times and all of that, all was in preparation to do something great. Everything they'd gone through, being conquered, taken captive, forced to live and learn a new culture, was all preparation for them to do something great for God. Something great with God. Write this down. Get your pen and paper out. Write this down. God doesn't waste anything, not even our suffering. God doesn't waste anything, not even our suffering. God doesn't waste anything, not even our suffering. You got it? Say amen. All right. God doesn't waste anything, not even our suffering. Everything we go through in life is just preparation for something else, something great, something for God's glory. I don't know if you remember Tony Snow. Tony Snow was uh, the White House press secretary for George W. Bush. He ended up dying at a young age, like 41 or 2, of colon cancer. And it wasn't, it wasn't a very pleasant death. But he said this one time. He said, we want to live lives of predictable ease, smooth, even trails as far as the eye sees. But God likes to go off-road. God wants to go off-road. doesn't want to take the easy way. God likes to take the hard way. Going off-road is rough. There's rocks and trees. There's dips and hills. Unexpected things come up in the, in the path. That's the way life is, isn't it? Isn't life kind of that way, off-road? Life is seldom easy or simple. But it's during the difficult times and the difficult places that God prepares us and equips us to do great things because what else is faith for but to do something great for God? What else is faith for but to do something for God? Something that we might see in the moment as bad can be something that God helps to grow us and prepare us and equip us to do great things because that might be his will for us. Something to help us grow in our faith, grow stronger, grow more durable, grow more resilient. Philippians 1 verse 6, you have it on your, on your outline. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ. God's not going to quit working on you. You might quit on him, but he will not quit working on you. Not until the day of Christ. So I would just say stay faithful. And if you don't know what that means, you don't know what it means to be a believer. I would say today, as we sing our invitation song, come forward and talk to me about becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. Come be a believer and follow God instead of the culture around you. Our invitation song today is come just as you are. That's the thing. God wants you to come to him.